Our text this morning comes from Colossians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 15 through 22, but the passage will be centered on verses 19 to 22. It can be found on page 983 of the Bibles in the pews. Colossians 1, chapter 15, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let us pray and ask for the Lord's help as we jump into his word together. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. And God, as we open your word and as we study from it, we pray that we would see the beauty and the majesty and the glory of your Son, God, that we would see the peace that he has secured for us, an everlasting peace, the peace that you have given to us. And we pray for your Spirit's help as we understand, and may you guide us into all truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe it is peace for our time. Eighty years ago, English Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain declared these infamous words, infamous words to a scared an anxious crowd of Londoners. Germany was a growing threat to continental Europe. They threatened to plunge Europe into another costly and devastating war. But Chamberlain's pact with Hitler promised peace. There was no need to worry, he said. I recommend you now go home and sleep quietly in your beds. Europe needed peace, and peace was secured. Now, of course, we all know 80 years later there is extreme irony in these words. Britain would not experience many quiet nights in the days, the months, and the years ahead. In fact, only two days after this pact, Germany annexed all of Czechoslovakia. And by 1939, Poland was under full German control, with much of continental Europe soon to follow. And then come the fall of 1940, nightly bombings marked the daily life for British citizens, anything but peace and quiet. This promise of peace was merely an illusion. It was hollow, it was empty. And yet the need for peace was as high as it had ever been. And sadly, our day is not all that different. The names and the countries at the center may have changed, but the need remains, peace. And it is during the Christmas season when many sense this lack of peace most. Our favorite Christmas songs confirm this. Peace is a predominant theme in both the secular and the religious songs alike. Peace is wanted for the world and within nations. 
People long to see war end, hunger disappear, and decency and harmony prevail. Peace is wanted for our communities. Lines of division are drawn up everywhere, and it becomes harder to discern where one belongs. Peace is wanted for our families, for individuals. We wish that our gatherings felt less like entering a war zone with landmines just waiting to be tripped. We all want peace at Christmas and every day after. But what is peace? What exactly did the angels mean when they declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace? Where can we restless hearts find it? Where are we to look for it? But thankfully, God has not left us to wonder. Our passage this morning directs our attention to the truth regarding peace. And it is far better than anything this world can sing about, far better than anything this world can imagine. It is the peace that you and I and all creation with us desperately need. It is the only lasting peace. It is the true heavenly peace made available in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. So in this season of Advent and every season of life, may we look to Jesus for the true peace that he brings. Again, may we look to Jesus for the true peace that he brings. And I hope that the following three points will help us to understand our need to look to Jesus. We will see that true peace rests in Christ alone. We will see that true peace restores creation. And we will also see that true peace reconciles creatures. Again, true peace rests in Christ alone. True peace restores creation. And true peace reconciles creatures. We begin with true peace rests in Christ alone. Or to put it another way, Jesus Christ is the only place where peace can be found. To look outside of Christ is to seek peace that is insufficient. It is not true peace. I think we've all been there. In an attempt to save just a little bit of money, we go for the imitation instead of the real thing. I mean, how much difference does $50 really make? And I am actually guilty of this more often than not. I end up spending the equivalent of the name brand thing with all the different off-brands that I end up purchasing. And what seemed like a good idea at the time only brings me back to the place uh, I started. Something's broken and needs to be fixed. But sadly, our culture does the same thing when it comes to peace. It longs for and cries out for peace, but it places its hopes in the imitations. Leaders and movements are deemed the saviors, with love the universal foundation. Peace may come for a moment... It may seem good, but it quickly fades. And before we're quick to nod in agreement, we are often just as guilty. Despite knowing and being known by the Prince of Peace, we look for the knockoff peace. We seek it in others. Maybe it's a spouse, a friend, or a relationship. We run to other things, hoping they will bring peace, like our gadgets, social media, our sports teams. But Colossians 1 tells us these are simply mirages. They are cheap imitations. They cannot and they will not bring peace for our time. 
Jesus Christ is the only one qualified and able to bring peace. He is uniquely fit for this task. This begs the question, why? Why is Jesus the only source and hope for peace? Why should we avoid looking for peace in other places? Simply, it's because Jesus is God. Paul says this very clearly when he says in verse 19, In him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now this is a controversial, as controversial a statement today as it was when Paul wrote it. It stands against the pluralistic, everything is equal culture in which we breathe. But this idea of God's fullness in Christ is critical. And Paul is going to repeat this phrase almost verbatim in chapter 2 when he says, For in him, Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For our faith and the achievement of peace, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, is foundational. Jesus Christ is the perfect and full expression of God. There is nothing of God that is lacking in Jesus Christ. There is completeness. And now this is hard for us to wrap our minds around. We know what copies are. We know they come close to the real thing. And especially with our current technology, they come really, really close. But we know that copies still pale in comparison. If you were to see the picture I shot of Victoria Falls in Africa, it's not the same as actually being there. It is but a glimpse. But Jesus Christ is not a copy. He is not a glimpse of God. He is perfectly and completely God. Fullness means fullness. And this phrase is also packed with a lot of Old Testament imagery. For Israel, the temple was the place where God's fullness dwelt among his people. His spirit, his wisdom, his glory resided in the temple. It was like no other place on earth. Jesus, the fullness of God, is the true, is the greater temple. He is where God has come to permanently dwell with his people. We just sang it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. True peace can only be found where God dwells, and where God dwells is in the person of Jesus Christ. But not only is Jesus God, he is also the chosen one of God. Paul says that he is the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and to reconcile. This idea of God's pleasure carries the notion of determination Jesus was not randomly chosen or picked. The Son of God was the divinely elected one from eternity past through whom God would dwell with his people and secure their lasting peace. There was and there is no other person or plan. So when we look for peace elsewhere, we are questioning God's plan and God's purpose. We are doubting whether he will actually bring what he promises to bring. It says that we think we can do a better job, whether we as individuals or we as a collective group. But Jesus Christ is the one and only person. He is the one and only place 
where true peace can be found. To look anywhere else is pointless. It's foolish. It is to ignore what God has declared in regard to where his peace has taken up residence. So where are you looking for peace this morning? In this Christmas season? If it is not in the person of Jesus Christ, then you're not looking for true peace. You may find something good, and it may feel good for a while, but it will only be temporary. Peace for yourself, peace for your loved ones, peace for this world can only be found in Jesus Christ. True peace rests in Christ alone. Seek it and find it in him. And it is because that true peace rests in Christ alone that we can be confident in what Paul gets in next, that true peace restores creation. And now here is where Paul begins to provide us with a definition of what is peace. Peace is not some force that's uniting humanity together. It is not a universal feeling of love that warms our hearts towards one another. Ultimately, peace is not even the end of war, violence, and strife, as good as that is. According to Paul, peace means reconciliation. He says that Jesus was God in the flesh, and through him he would reconcile to himself all things, making peace. This idea of peace, it's restoration, it's harmony, and its scope is far reaching than we could imagine. This peace brings harmony or restored order to the entire cosmos. Now I admit that I am a superhero fan, maybe even a junkie. Okay, I am as big a Marvel fan as there is out there possibly. I'm looking forward to the three-month stretch of April, May, and June when three new movies are coming out. Now for those of you unfamiliar or uninterested, let me summarize the Marvel universe for you. Chaos. Forces are constantly fighting to either disrupt or restore order and harmony. Now this, honestly, is not that far of a stretch from our own universe. It has been plunged into chaos. The need for restoration that Paul calls for assumes that something is wrong. And scripture affirms as much. Presently, as as Carl just read from us from Ephesians 6, there are spiritual forces opposed to God. There are powers, there are authorities standing against God. They refuse to submit to his reign over all things. They seek to disrupt and to thwart his plan. If you're not convinced of that, just read stories of what the church outside of this country is facing even today. The massacres in places like Africa, where there is hostility towards those who confess the name of Jesus. But equally present is the pain and the suffering first introduced to this world by Adam and perpetuated by every human being, us included, ever since. Sin has brought further disorder and chaos into God's perfectly good creation. What was meant to be All things living under the blessed and glorious reign of our creator is not how things are. And as a result, Paul tells us in Romans that creation itself is groaning for its restoration. It bears the weight of much of this lack of peace 
and it begs its creator for relief. And we know this too well. It plays out in each and every day of our lives. And the news reminds us that things are a mess. There is violence, seemingly endless. There is hunger. There is disease, sickness, and death. There is abuse and injustice of every evil kind under the sun. And then when we look at our own personal lives, we find that we are not spared from creation's chaos. We know physical pain. Some of it's daily and intense. We know death and loss. Some of us, it's touched us very intimately just in the past few months. We have relationships that are strained. The bad news of the creation's chaos is bad. There is no way around it. Heaven and earth are not in harmony. Even with all its natural beauty, and there is much beautiful about creation, it is still a mess. It desperately needs to be set right. And it is good and right for us to long for this, for this restoration, for this setting right of all creation. Because that is the promise that we've been held out to, that God has held out for us. And this is exactly what makes the good news of Christmas, the good news of God's peace, such good news. Jesus Christ has brought peace or restoration to every square inch of creation. Listen to what Paul says. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As one commentator put it, Jesus came to bring creation back to its divinely created and determined order. He has secured cosmic peace. Just as he is the one by whom all things were created, we read in verse 15, things in heaven and on earth, so Jesus is also the one who has won peace for all things created, things in heaven, things in earth. And what's more is he has done this through the unlikeliest of means. Paul says he has made peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus has secured peace to a disordered universe by the means of his bloody death on a Roman instrument of torture. The cross is not simply an event in history. It is the turning point of all history. The death of God's one and only Son marked the beginning of the end for all those opposed to God and his kingdom. For two verses prior, Paul made the statement that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus died so that he might rise. He died so that he might be exalted and given the name that is above every name. He died so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Now this certainly does not mean that everything presently is set right. We know that full too well. And Hebrews 2 tells us that not all things are subjected yet to Christ. The full restoration and harmony of all creation will come when Jesus returns. But we can rest assured that even now, things are being restored. Things are being brought back to their rightful place under his rule. So even when the brokenness and the sorrow of this life are heavy, and there are times when they are very heavy, we can point one another, we can point ourselves to this certain peace 
Jesus Christ is restoring all things to himself. And this is also the day that we are called to tell others about. Because in reconciling all things to himself, Jesus promises to even bring his enemies under his rule. They will surrender to the one who is supreme. The only hope for them is to do so before that day. So then let us as followers of Christ proclaim this peace, proclaim the restoration that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because this is truly what the world needs. Not another movement, not another person, not another song. They need the restoration that Jesus Christ brings. So we have seen that true peace rests in Christ alone. That true peace restores creation. And lastly, we see that true peace reconciles creatures to God. Jesus has removed the enmity and the alienation between holy God and sinful man. Here is where the good news, God restoring all of creation, turns even greater. Because in theory, God could restore creation to its rightful place without saving sinners. He would still be marvelous, he would still be glorious to give sinners the judgment that they deserve. But in these last two verses, Paul takes what he's been talking about and makes it personal. Look what he says at the beginning of verse 21. And you. It's simple, but it's a very marked shift. After considering the entire created order, he narrows it down to what reconciliation, what peace means for us as individuals. And in a way, he makes a similar point that he made with the created order, but he makes it far more explicit. Whereas he assumes the bad news for creation, the bad news for us as human, he paints it absolutely clear. Listen to what he says. And you who once were alienated from God. Human beings are alienated. We are estranged from God. He is estranged from us. We are estranged from him. Estranged is never a positive thing. We never use it to talk about something good. It marks separation. It marks a lack of belonging. But if that weren't enough, he goes one step further. We're alienated and hostile in mind. This idea is simply that we are enemies of God. We are opposed to him in our sin And he stands opposed to us. We disregard what he says, even though it is right, even though it is true, and it is good. Now, I am from the suburbs of Philadelphia originally. So if you're not familiar, if you are not a Philadelphia fan, which surprisingly I'm not, things can get pretty hostile. I have been to a few sporting events in support of my team, not the Philadelphia home team. Now, while stories of Philadelphia sports hospitality can be greatly overblown, and they are. I will vouch for my my Philadelphia brethren. Um, I do think hostile is a pretty good description for my experience. I was not thought of highly. I was called a few names, which I cannot repeat. Insults were thrown at me. I was told to sit down on more than one occasion. There was certainly no love for me, the outsider. And yet this is a great picture of how we treat God in our natural sinful state. Despite graciously creating us in his image to bear his image, we throw it back in his face. We reject him. We shake our fists in his direction. We have no love for him. 
Worse yet, Paul says, we act out our alienation, we act out our hostility by doing evil deeds. Instead of doing the good that we were created to do, we gladly engage in all kinds of sin and wickedness. Instead of finding delight in God and in his word, we find it in those things he hates. And it is for this reason that in Ephesians, Paul calls us dead in the trespasses of our sins, having no hope and without God in this world. This is who you and I are by nature. We are at war with God. We deserve only his wrath and his judgment. It is what we have asked for. But in his grace, he has made peace. He has reconciled. He has restored peace between the creator and his creatures. And again, Paul points us back to the cross. The cross is the turning point, not only for creation, but for the creature. It is through Christ's death that peace has been made. And this shouldn't come as a shock. For Old Testament Israel, peace required sacrifice. The peace offering, I was here when Tim preached through it in Leviticus, is the prime example. It promised that sin was removed and peace was restored between God and sinner through the death of the animal. Jesus was that true peace offering. It is through his body and blood that sinners are truly and fully reconciled, made peace with God. It is his once-for-all sacrifice that secures forgiveness for those who are in Christ. And if that wasn't good news enough, Paul emphasizes an additional benefit. Not only does God forgive, he makes us fit to stand before him. This is truly scandalous. This is not my fair lady. Man does not simply need a bath, some new clothes, and a little lesson in grammar. Man needs a complete transformation. You can't go from alienated, hostile, to doing evil deeds with simply a class. There needs to be transformation. Mankind is God's enemy and totally unfit to stand in his presence. But as we just sang a few moments ago, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Christ has reoriented the hearts and the minds and the lives of his people. Alienated, hostile, doing evil deeds is now holy and blameless and above reproach. This contrast could not be any starker. It is night and day. Enemies have been made friends, and as we heard last week, strangers have been received as adopted sons. We are not who we once were. Whatever sin you brought with you has been removed and forgiven. The perfect righteousness of Christ has been gifted to you. You really are holy. You really are blameless. You really are above reproach in Christ. And in Christ, we can live as we were originally created. It is now our delight and our joy to live obedient and holy lives. Brothers and sisters, this is true peace. This is the peace that has rightly fixed what is most at wrong with the world and its people. And this is what the world and all mankind desperately longs for. It's what we need. 
So if you are here this morning as one alienated from God, maybe even actively hostile, then can I plead with you this morning to be reconciled to God? Throw yourself upon his mercy. Trust in the death and resurrection of Christ. See the lengths he has gone in order to bring you to himself. He will graciously forgive you and restore you in Christ Jesus. He will make peace. And for those of us who are united to Christ, rest in the peace he has secured for you. Let it fill your soul to overflowing and hold fast to this peace through daily repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. True peace reconciles creatures to their creator. Peace for our time. It was wishly promised over 80 years ago, countless years before that, and continues to this day. And during Christmas, it may receive a slight tweak, maybe peace for a time. If peace cannot last forever, maybe at least it can last for a month, maybe for a weekend, maybe for a day, maybe for a couple hours. But this is not the good news of Christmas. It's not peace for a family gathering. It's not peace for an afternoon. The peace at Christmas is the peace all mankind and all creation groans for. It is the work of Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself. And this is why he came as a weak and helpless baby. This is why he gave up the glories of heaven for the shame of our fallen nature. The peace of Christmas is a message for every day and every season. So let us proclaim it, let us hope in it, let us pursue it as individuals, as families, and as a church. May we be convinced that true peace rests in Christ alone, true peace restores creation, and true peace reconciles creatures. And may we look to Jesus for the true peace that he brings. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your Son. God, we thank you for the peace that he has brought, the peace that he has secured for us through his death and resurrection. We pray that we would know peace, that we would be people of peace. God, that we would bring this good news to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we thank you that even now you are at work restoring all things to yourself. We look forward to that day. We pray for its coming and pray that we would be found faithful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.